Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by ListenNotes.com, so you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here, and I want to welcome you to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast today. We're so blessed that you're joining us for part two of a very emotional interview, but a very informational one at the same time. We're talking with Cindy Benezra, author of Under the Orange Blossoms, where she's detailing growing up in an emotional, physical, and sexually abused home by her father. In part one, we discussed her upbringing and all that was going on. Today, in part two of this amazing interview, she shares how she grew spiritually and emotionally to the point that she wanted to confront her father, who had always been refusing to discuss this with her, and he agreed. He also agreed to allow her to videotape their conversation. In today's portion of this interview, we discuss this, how it affected her, and also how she found out she wasn't the only one her father had abused. But she also shares how she came to the point of forgiving her father and actually taking care of him in his 80s before he passed away. So get ready as we go back into this interview now with Cindy Benezra. Amen. And it took your your entire life to experience basically the context and the contents of this book. How long did it take you to actually write the book? So honestly, I didn't I didn't really mean it's not like when I was a kid, you know, running away all the time. I I wanted to share this. I was just too afraid, uh, and I didn't want to do. I mean, I always wanted to do this, but I just was too af. I just wasn't brave enough, and so I think I've always had my notes written and all these things written as a kid, and all the way through my teen years, and notes that I saved, which I thought was really interesting, writing this book. I went back and got old journals and writing scribbled notes that I had in anger. So in some ways, the book was already kind of written. And when my daughter and I were starting up this business, um, I had already so many of the thoughts written in that other notebook that um, it kind of came easy, but I have to say, I wouldn't recommend writing through trauma because you're really describing like what that room feels like and what, where that pain is in your body. And I did have it, have to seek out a therapist to help me um, not get so, because I was re-traumatized by writing yeah. the book. It's different than telling it because you're thinking about the the grief and the pain and you're writing about it into such detail that it's, it's um it re-triggers you like really re-triggers you and I haven't been that re-triggered since I was a kid so my husband was sort of like why are you doing this like who are you doing this for and I kept on saying for every kid out there that was just like me you know for every mom who discovers um that you know what raising their child that they had been abused or um you know we reflect when we have children don't you think like we reflect like kind of going 
you know, like my parents did this and I wish I could probably do something better. And sometimes we reflect like, gosh, you know, um, how could we change this? And so I think that book was already rewritten. Yeah, A lot of people say that you're writing this as a form of therapy. Is that what you discovered Mm. or was it something entirely different? No. No, it wasn't therapy. I don't think this was a form of therapy. It was, it was a form. No, I think it was a form of torture. I really do. I don't, I don't think it's healthy uh, writing from a traumatic experience. Uh, I think it's, it's really, really hard. Um, I wrote this book for somebody else. This is for another person to recognize that, yes, you can get through this, but I wouldn't recommend this. I, I guess it is therapeutic. Um, what's therapy for me is sometimes occasionally I will get to meet maybe um, a young man or um, who shares his story about how he was abused um, in that, and that's between him and me and uh, nobody else. Uh, and through that, I... I get um, kind of like a healing, like, oh, yes, I did. Like somebody heard me. Somebody I, somebody empathizes with the same path that I had to walk. Um, sometimes when I'm at an event, um, I find it really interesting that more men share with me what happened to them at an event. Um and we're raising money for some from for some great cause, and um, a man will come up to me and go, "Hey, I follow you. You know, um, I like what you're doing, and um, this happened to me. You know, this happened with the teacher. It's affected my whole life." Mm, um, yeah. And I ask him, "Would he ever share?" And he's like, "No, no, no. You know, women share more on social media, but I'm just sharing with you and." just you're the only person I ever talked to. And I was like, oh, wow. So when I do get moments like that, I think like, okay, there are, that that's the one in six. And when I have moments like that, I think that's therapeutic. Yeah. Like, amen. okay. Yeah. yeah. Amen. How did you arrive at the name Under the Orange Blossoms? Mm, that's, that's actually a really good question. Um, so I'd run away. I think I told you that a lot. Um, I'd run away, just um, pack up my little suitcase. But there were times there where I'd run away because I was ducking and fearing for my life. And we were, I lived up in, well, not up, but I lived in Arizona, in rural Arizona. It was out in the country and uh, there were orange orchards all around us. And um, I remember just thinking the smell of it was just beautiful. So I'd run away, um, go on the freeway and ride my bicycle, and uh, which was prohibited. I mean, no kids want to should be riding their bicycle on a freeway. And um, I'd run into the orchard fields and orchard, excuse me, and um, I'd find solace. And in there, because there was cactus around us, we didn't really have a whole lot of green. And so that was just a beautiful sanctuary that I could just find uh, the, the singing of the birds, beautiful green leaves rustling in the in the wind, and it smelled good. And I remember looking also, kind of thinking that those orange blossoms, those orange trees were growing in mud, and I felt like I was living in mud, and I didn't know how I was going to make it through. And I remember thinking about those trees growing in mud, 
and how they survived and how they produced beautiful fruit and beautiful fragrance and somehow they made it through that. And in nature, I kind of found it was something that I could count on. It was something that was always there. It looks like they had a job and they did their job and they produced fruit and beautiful smells. And I could rely on that because I wasn't be, I wasn't very trusting with anybody else in my life. I didn't know where to go to. So those trees, I found um, dependability and beauty, and I could scream all my hate out into those trees, and they still stood there, and they never turned on me. So that's kind of what was happening in the orange blossoms, a lot of screaming, but uh, beauty. And I think there is a lot of beauty out there in this world that we could just step out and just find. Yeah. If you know, and solace. And I think it was something greater. I found a greater purpose to myself. Um, I think I found meaning and I realized that I was just another person in the world, even though I was a little girl, never underestimate a child's mind. I think we do have that. I think there's so much that we're capable. Yeah. Amen. And on your Mm. website, you have a series of short videos and a few of them are you having a conversation with your father about this. Why did you decide to record an interview of him discussing this abuse with you? Um, so when I was growing up, I always felt it was my word against his word. And I never really got a chance. Well, okay. Most of the time, we do not get a chance to meet or confront. Okay, I'm trying to say this right. So most of the time, when we're having a problem with anybody or any conflict, we don't usually get a chance or take the time um, to have a, a conversation with somebody that we do not like. We usually dismiss them and we walk away. This was an opportunity where I could sit there and I, my dad and I had hashed this out. I already told him that I was going to write this book. And I said, you know, other people need to hear this. Um, maybe somebody would be able to find some kind of healing through this, or maybe this could be used in a medically. So I said, there's purpose in this for for the way you're sharing. You're older, you know, you're kind of reflecting back. So let's let's talk about this. You know, we haven't talked about it in 80 years. So let's talk about this. So it was my opportunity to kind of see about show and see and share what is a mindset of a pedophile or a perpetrator or um so that other people could see it. But I had to have this conversation where it had no feelings or no emotions that I would get triggered. So I was asking him just questions and I really tried to keep all my emotions out of it so that other people could see it. And so maybe, maybe there is somebody out there who's kind of goes, okay, well, like, okay, they're ill. Maybe they'll come to that conclusion. Okay, maybe somebody did this and they're just ill. Or maybe somebody will come to the conclusion and go, oh, maybe that's my apology or um, and find some kind of healing through this. Through this. Um, I just felt that it was, my dad was willing to talk about it. He also, I think he wanted to pass and be forgiven. I really do. I really think 
this is, he knew it was something I was searching for. And I think it gave him closure for something that I think he really knew was wrong. And I think he wanted to pass with some form of forgiveness, some form of sharing with the world. That's the way I take it. The because he knew I was sharing this with the world. So I think he kind of wanted to be forgiven and he wanted to move on um, from this, even though he rationalized and said it was what he was, he was entitled to this, but um, I think he wanted to find some form of forgiveness too. Amen. Was he, how can I say this? Was he willingly providing information during your interviews? Mm-hmm. More or less have to, you know, pry it out of them. Uh, oh, well, it was a lot of prying. It was a lot of uh, repeating the question, kind of rephrasing the question. Um, he, uh, so I have lots of audio. I have lots of hours of audio with him. And I think in those hours of audio, um, I got to really hear his his side of it, his truth, his belief, I guess you could say. Um, but the videos, when he saw me bring in a camera crew, he realized like this is, um, he he kind of changed his story a little bit, um, which was really disheartening. He wasn't as open and um, it was really hard for me to, to watch it because I was very disappointed in how he rationalized things and how he kind of was on. And I thought, oh, this is the dad that I know, um, kind of the one who's always trying to hide things. But I think it was, he was still pretty visible. Yeah. Amen. And you went your entire life waiting for him to admit what he did, his acts of abuse to you and to others. He admitted on one of the videos, he did it to others as well. Do you think he finally apologized maybe in his own way? in the video on your website when he was in his 80s? I think he did, but I have to tell you, it was not the apology or the way I was anticipating. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm, you know, like when, <laughs> I, I, I'm only going to put my husband in this, but he's a fabulous man. But, you know, like sometimes we're just having a spousal dispute and I want I want him to apologize you know, for things. And he's thinking, well, I'm not going to apologize for that. And he's giving me apology for something completely different. Um, you know what I'm talking about, you mm-hmm. know, where you're, you're mm-hmm. apologizing and you really have to break it down. Like, no, you got to say, I'm sorry for unloading the dishwasher this way. And, um, and that you broke my favorite plate. You know, there's something crazy how we get stuck on certain things. And he's like, well, no, I'm not going to apologize for that. And, you know, you're kind of bickering that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I've, feel like um but with a rational person you could get you could talk to them and go no i need to hear an apology about this but when you're talking to an irrational an irrational person um irrational person someone who's not mentally healthy um or somebody who's reluctant who who's reluctant to give you a forgiveness i think um you're not going to get and hear the yeah. type of forgiveness that you may want to hear. First of all, you don't have the same relationship. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of defense. And in when listening to that, I realized I was not going to get the apology. And not only that, I wasn't, it wasn't going to be, it wasn't going to take, the apology wasn't going to really truly take away 
a whole life that I had to overcome from yeah. five years of my life and um, and try to make that up. So I realized that in a lot of ways that through this, um, again, was just sort of like I, I think I had to find a way to find forgiveness for this entire process. And I didn't realize that was the crazy part. I didn't realize, and I was in my fifties and I didn't realize that I had the power the entire time. I just didn't know that I had that magic key that I had the willingness to forgive and what a weight that could be. And I didn't realize that forgiveness also comes in stages. It comes, you could be angry and forgive and then kind of go back and go, okay, I feel okay with this and then revisit the anger and then feel okay with it. I didn't realize that I had that power all along. Um, and that when I think about that, once I found it, I thought, gosh, I got to save myself almost a lifetime, yeah. <laughs> almost Amen. a lifetime. Yeah. I, I just didn't Amen. know that that was the way through. And if I would have known that, I don't know if I would have changed it because I am kind of a stubborn person, but um, I don't know. What do you think about this? You must hear yeah. about this, about forgiveness. And like, what do you hear? I, I've, heard it expressed where you know i can forgive the person but not the sin mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know so that that you know i think that probably identifies for me a lot uh you know when somebody does something to me you know okay yeah but it, it's still going to be in the back of your mind it's always there you know, but yet you say, Lord, I forgive him, you know, but yet the, the memory of the sin is still there. You, know, you just have to make a conscious decision to forgive them. And and that's where I'd have to leave it at, you know, and, and especially I haven't experienced what you've gone through, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, and I don't know if that adequately identifies, a, a you know, or what you're thinking or not. But because I know you took care of him in his last days, you know, mm-hmm. and you already talked about that. And I think that might be, you know, you, you forgive him, but not what he did. No, I don't forgive what he did. I don't, I mean, I've definitely held him accountable for what yeah. he's done. Um, but I think forgiving is such a really, it's more about a process of when you, when you forgive somebody, you release the energetic spark that holds you. And I think that's like the power that person has over what happened. And when you forgive and you know that you're free, it's that spark. It's that energetic spark. It's just gone and there's no power in it. And when I realized that he possessed no power, in this, that it was really him, and all this, these thoughts of, of shame and um, fear, and all the things that I carried through, that I didn't possess them anymore. That it was more about him, where I looked at him, and I just had no feelings. It was like um, yeah. 
true freedom. And I think that's what it was like, freedom of heart, where I could kind of go, oh, I'm free. That like, I am truly fear. Because I think a lot of times people say, oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) You're not really sorry. Because it shows in your body language. It shows in how you're living and you're sleeping and you get next to somebody and you could tell they're not sorry. (laughs) Not sorry. My two daughters, you know, they tell her you're sorry. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) have you ever seen kids like when i look at young kids and you know maybe one hits each other over the head and then we'll say say you're sorry and the kids will turn around right away and they'll turn around and they'll go i'm so sorry and they hug each other and you could see and they're like okay we're friends again and i think like what happens to the human spirit why can't we do that as we get older. And I just love to watch kids do that. I, I look at it, I'm always like in awe that they could, oh, and then Child as you faith. get older, you just start holding on to more and more. And that yeah. forgiving process just becomes harder and harder. And when you say, oh, I'm sorry, like yeah. it's really a process. Like you really have to work at losing that energetic thing. And um, if it's something that you have to write down on paper, I remember praying about it a lot. I remember, uh, I mean, if I could have stood on my head to whatever I could have done, I I just wasn't finding the key, but I didn't realize that the key was inside me the entire time about forgiving and just letting that process go. And that part of the frustration is that it's a process, that it's It's something you have to work on all the time, just like like an exercise. Yeah, amen, amen. Well, Cindy, this has been so interesting. I know your book is going to be a blessing to to many people, many who've gone through or they're going through something similar right now. What is your message to them? What would you say to that person right now? Mm, You know, that you're not alone. I mean, we all go through periods in our life that um where we cry where we're in pain where we hurt and we just never think there's going to be an end to it or um and then sometimes it gathers up to be just intense intense pain and we're never going to get through it and i just have to say you are not alone in your pain and we we're all human we all go through human experience of 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 trauma. And um, you just have to believe that you will get through it. And how far you want to take that, it's it's a choice. It's a choice for you to um, recognize that you do have the willingness, that you can get through it. And you will. I do believe that. I believe anybody who puts their mind to getting through any kind of um, adversity, you will go, you will overcome, yeah. you, will, you will move through. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. How can someone obtain a copy of your book under the orange blossoms? Is it on Amazon? Yeah, it's on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble. I mean, pretty much you name every little bookstore that's out there um, <laughs> on the internet. I'm on there. So you could, um, it's, uh, you could uh, www, uh, Cindy Benezra or www.cindytalks.com. I have a blog. Um, you could reach out to me. I have, um, I write about, um, it's a space where people could share 
um, their stories, their grief. Um, I talk to a lot of parents that have um, children with special needs. Um, so I, I am here and there's a lot more out there. You know, I'm just your neighbor. I'm your sister. I'm your auntie. I'm like, I'm just that girl next door that's gone through. I'm the one in four. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I'll put links to all this in the show notes below, but I have to ask you one more thing before we close. Yeah. What's that? Is it true that you had to bribe your current boss to move across the country just to start a business with you? Bribe my current boss? <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, so Share yes. that with us. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So my daughter, who's 35, um, when she was, she was, you know, going through college and she was studying to be an event planner. And I, I told her that um, if she ever wants to come back, she was living in Boston. And um, I said, if you ever want to come back, I'll start an event company with you. And it was bribery because like all good moms bribe their children over everything. And I was still doing it and she was still bribing her. And she came back. She came back after like nine long years being gone. She came back with her her boyfriend at that time who's now married. And she came back with him and she goes, knock, 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 mom, let's start a company. And I was like, oh my goodness, bribery does work. <laughs> and from what I read on the web website, she runs the company, right? Yep. And my daughter is my boss. boss. Yes. That's right. I was like, what? <laughs> I, I just had to, to ask that. I thought it was so funny. I thought, I thought it was great. <laughs> yeah. Folks, you need to order your copy of Under the Orange Blossoms right now. I, I know that you know someone who's gone through this sort of trauma, or maybe it's you. This book will be a blessing to you, to them. Consider ordering a copy for your pastor as well. I mean, this would be a great resource for the church and ministries out there. I'd even go so far as to recommend you get in touch with Cindy to maybe have her come out to your church or event and discuss these important topics to your members. Amen. Just drop down into the show notes, click the links right there. Cindy, thank you for coming on the program, sharing about your life, your book, Under the Orange Blossoms. I do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me, Bob. And folks, that is all the time we have for today. For Cindy Benezer and myself, this Pastor Bob reminding you, be blessed in all that you do. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Are you a Christian entrepreneur, coach, or author with a message that needs to be heard? Picture this, your voice reaching thousands, your story inspiring hearts, and your business flourishing like never before. 
Introducing Faithcasters, the ultimate platform that connects faith-driven professionals like you with the power of podcasting. Become a sought-after guest on Faith-Based Podcast. Share your unique insights and connect with like-minded individuals who share your passion for faith and entrepreneurship as well. Imagine your expertise reaching a wider audience, expanding your network, and propelling your business to new heights. Well, it's all within reach with Faithcasters. So don't wait. Take the first step today on your journey to greatness by visiting our website at faithcaster.org. That's faithcaster.org. Join the Faithcasters community now and unleash the full potential of your faith-driven enterprise. You do not want to miss this opportunity. Faithcasters, where faith meets podcasting and your dreams become reality. Visit faithcaster.org. Let's soar together. And remember, anyone can be a podcaster, but only a Christian can become a faithcaster. Faithcasters, your voice, your platform, your success.